Hello, and welcome to episode two of Dual Security with Andrew and Ray. I'm Andrew. And that would make me Ray. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining. Uh, if you're on YouTube, feel free to hit that subscribe button if you haven't touched it yet. It takes about two seconds, and I don't think you'll want to miss some of our upcoming episodes. I think I don't think you'll ever want to miss an episode, but you know, that's my unbiased opinion. <laughs> oh, it feels like forever between recording these episodes. It's like we, we right. cover so much ground in a single hour or in the two hours after the episode. And then there's a week of just watching it all play out, like the insights that we've talked about. It's like, oh, there it is. And, and there it is. And oh, that's happening there. And, and so it, it's so much fun. But by the time I get to about Thursday, I'm just itching to have another conversation because so much has happened in that span of non-time. So it's mm -hmm. gonna it's going to get to the point where we're gonna start doing two of these a week at some point, I think. I think I think we'll have to. It's to me, it's felt like it's been a month since Monday. I don't know if it was, you know, taking some mushrooms for the first time ever uh, caused right. that. I certainly felt like things time slowed down a bit. Like I was sort of like taking notes on my phone as I just like have keep track of like when I started feeling stuff, just because I like doing that stuff. And it, I knew I was going to probably make a video about my experience. So having that for, because there's, I know a lot of people that I think would have a great time with them and, and not, not just a great time, but like, it could be super incredibly beneficial to them and their lives, even doing something like microdosing, which is, I don't know, it's just, it's such a bummer that it's been so stigmatized. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it was really cool. And this week, yeah, it just felt like it was 30 days, not seven. So I'm with you on, I think we may be forced into doing two of these a week. Absolutely. Well, it's funny. Somebody, somebody asked me on, on my TikTok, because I talk about this all the time, obviously. And despite having another job in an industry that has nothing to do with this conversation, or at least only on a periphery, um, it's, you know, well, is this what you want to do? And I have went back and forth with that for 20 years. I've went back and forth. It was like, you know, do I want to just apply this and, and enjoy my life? Or do I want to be out there talking to people, watching them have those aha moments that, that drive me? And the answer is I just keep getting drawn back to this, regardless of what direction I choose, regardless of what I get into. If I decide, oh, I'm going to learn this now, or I'm going to take up this hobby. It always ends up coming back to this. When I got into Kung Fu, my Sifu used to find it hilarious because I would come in to train, but I was also training how I thought. So he would actually tell the other students, like, listen to Ray. He has a very slow mind. And, and at first I'm like, hey, hold on a minute. What does that mean? <laughs> but what he meant was that he explains it to me once and then I take it in and I chew on it and I really do what I can with what I can comprehend in what was said rather than just waiting for the next tidbit. And, and so, yeah, everything always comes back to these lessons for me. And so making two podcasts a week just seems almost like an inevitability, like we're being sucked into a black hole where it's like, you're going to have this talk because a lot of people want to have this talk. And they have a lot of people have responded this week that they've enjoyed our podcast. I'm really looking forward to more of the feedback that we're going to get. Definitely. And I, I don't think there's ever, ever going to be any shortage of things to talk about. Like, last episode we named it scratching the surface and i think it towards the end of the episode i was like yeah it's you know we definitely covered a lot but like there's i could think of off the top of my head like a hundred other things we could touch on you were like i love to hear that you think that this is scratching the surface because we just got into some serious stuff really quickly and a lot of different things and 
it's just I'm so fucking grateful that I have these opportunities to like talk about this stuff because it's it really is what I enjoy doing like I really it's the TikTok stuff the social media stuff it's never ever felt like work to me in the past year mm. and it's just I I love it I love interacting with people the the video I posted um just saying like I basically started out with, so I did a bunch of mushrooms this weekend and then talked about some things that I, you know, had a lot of sort of realizations that I have had in the past many times, but it was just more intense mm. and it's kind of like really stuck with me. Um, but on that post, I had, I think it was probably like 10 or 15 people who I mutually follow on TikTok and I don't follow that many people. And there were a lot just you know commenting like love to see it blah, blah blah knew you'd love it like you know which a lot of them have probably you know they're in similar types of discussions as us i'm sure a lot of them have you know tried them out and and so it was just cool to see and, and just being able to interact with so many people and connect with so many different people not the least of which has been you of course so yeah it's, <laughs> it's, it's awesome it's uh yeah we we are ha at the moment our, our conversation around um, natural drugs because we'll, we'll stick it to that because uh, synthetics or something else entirely man-made man-made and altered drugs or something else but our, our conversation around hallucinogens especially is, is fairly immature in our culture despite the fact that hallucinogens have been a cornerstone of the growth of our culture for thousands of years i mean tribal society regularly used hallucinogens in different types and, and, and kinds all over the world, whether it be ayahuasca or peyote or, or psilocybin mushrooms, um, they always use those in order to establish balance or, or rather for their elders to find some degree of clarity, oddly enough, so they could guide the tribe or guide their culture in a way that was more imbalanced, that wasn't going to have the same consequences. And it's the same thing that happens to us individually. All of a sudden, it's like, it's still us. I think that's the thing that a lot of people get afraid of when they talk about psych uh, psychedelics, it's like, oh God, I'm gonna be a different person. No, it's still you. It's just you in a different conscious environment. All of a sudden, the reality you're experiencing has changed and everything that you're experiencing within it is unfamiliar to you. And so you're still the same. And that's the lesson in that experience is that you can be completely uncertain. And so long as you can relax into yourself, you're gonna be just fine. And that's, that's the psychedelic lesson in a nutshell. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. It's, it's I've just on that statement there, just like a bunch of thoughts. Cause I've had people, you know, obviously I, I posted on my social media that I tried some drugs and there's a lot of people who are not familiar with, I had a lot of decent, not a ton, but you know, a decent amount of people closer to me. I'll leave it at that saying like, Hey man, just be careful, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you definitely never tried mushrooms because you just have an idea of what they are and you've never actually experienced them. Cause especially with something like microdosing, you don't experience. So, so what I've done so far, I had something else I was going to say about that. Oh, with the, uh, being a different person, like experience they're, they're afraid they're going to be a different person. And in one of the main things I realized was it, it sort of like, it doesn't add to you like add extra stuff it more so strips things away and strips away the baggage past trauma whatever so you're actually able to see things and there's no difference I didn't even take enough to hallucinate yet but 
I didn't notice uh, there wasn't anything more that was there. I just noticed more because there wasn't so much fog taking away from the present and what I was aware of. So I was just aware of so much more and everything was just like so much more bright and beautiful. And I was walking around, I just walked around New York city for like three hours on it. And it was amazing. It's one of my favorite things to do just ever in life and doing it on some mushrooms was absolutely incredible. Absolutely. Yeah, it well, was, it's like I was saying to you, it cuts your strings. Yeah. It's like, yeah. I, I know I'm usually thinking something. What is it I'm usually thinking? And it's just mm -hmm. not there. And yeah, even since then, so I took on Friday, I took up, to, I got up to 600 milligrams. I didn't take it all at once. So it probably had, you know, less of a super intense effect, but mm -hmm. it was still like, it wasn't really much different than I've been feeling the last few months. It was just more intense, just less internal noise, more external awareness. And then Saturday morning, I was like, you know, let's, let's wrap this up a little bit. So I took 1.4 grams and then, uh, an hour and a half later, 90 minutes later, took the 0.4 grams is I think you call it the, the kicker. Um, and that was, that was awesome. There was like a few seconds. I remember on the come up that I started to feel a little bit like, I think probably losing that control. Mm -hmm. And I told, I just like immediately, it was like, it's okay. It's okay to feel this. And it, it passed for me very quickly. I think that could be a point where someone like starts to, you know, resist what they're feeling and lead mm -hmm. to like, you know, bad trip maybe. Um, and then, yeah. And then I just walked around New York and it was, it was awesome. And then Sunday I didn't take anything, but I still, I texted you, I was walking around and I'm like, honestly, I still kind of feel like I'm on shrooms a little bit. Like I'm aware of so much more and like, I'm not. And then, uh, this morning, cause I was talking to a few people close to me about potentially microdosing. So I wanted to get that a shot. So I took just 200, um, this morning just to like, see what that was like. And it was pretty much like how I felt Sunday, just like maybe a little tiny bit stronger, but it's just, there's no like crazy trippy drug feeling no. at all. It's just, you're more present, you're more aware, your mind quiets, you're less self-conscious. It's like all these amazing things yep. and like, no doubt, there's no come down. There's no like anything uncomfortability whatsoever. Um, so yeah, that's basically my experience in a nutshell. I had a ton of thoughts that I just like questioning everything. I was like at a stoplight and it was a stop, but there were no cars coming. And I was like, I can just, I can just go like that's made up. That's just completely made up <laughs> just to make, it's literally just to make things easier yeah. for people to function. Like it would be kind of a pain if there were cars driving, there was nothing stopping and you just be kind of like going, shooting it and like now trying that's to make an interesting it point because what would be the alternative? Everybody would have to be considerate and aware, <laughs> right? And so our society is, is a structure of crutches to stop us from having to be considerate and aware all the time. We just make yeah. rules so we don't have to. It's like, no, no, there's our, there are laws telling you not to do that. Whether you recognize not to do that or not is irrelevant. It's like, no, but that's how a society crumbles, right? It's like, I'm not going to do that because it's against the law as opposed to I'm not going to do that because it might cause someone harm. Uh -huh. Or because, you know, I don't really need to do it. It's just an egotistical want that I'm doing anyway. We, we, always focus on the structure, taking responsibility for the participants. And that's why we end up with an irresponsible society. Wow.
Wow. Yeah. I did not think of that side of it. It makes so much sense. And it, it's almost like, you know, it breeds this society of like robotic type people wanting more, needing more and unaware and not needing to be. That's right. So That's aware. Right. That's yeah. right. And better yet here, well, we've got technology. We'll make it so you can be as comfortable as possible while you're not aware. Yeah. Like uh, what movie is it? Uh, Wally. Is that yeah. when they show all the people like so sitting good. in there, sitting back here with their massive like Coca-Cola and fast food and just like TV in front of them. And they're just like basically zombies. And it's like, that is, that is peak comfort, yeah. you know? It's like there's nothing you ever, no discomfort whatsoever. And it it creates this the most, I don't know. I I want to use uncomfortable. That that would seem extremely uncomfortable to yep. me. So it's like is ultimate comfort in theory sounds amazing, but in reality, that sounds not so much. Yeah, yeah. because it's an horrible. insidious kind of of consequence, right? It 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 settles in over time. And by the time you've realized there's a consequence, you're almost too far along to do anything about it, right? Like that's often the problem with um, addiction to, to certain substances is that when you don't deal with why you're addicted to, when you don't deal with the unhappiness or the lack that's, that the addiction is stemming from that you're trying to escape, then even if you were to kick that addiction, if you were, even if you were to quit drinking, you may find yourself in another addiction such as you know focusing on buying things all the time or focusing on judging other people these are all addictions these are all ways of dealing with our own sense of lack these are all ways kind of responsibility for our current state of mind so long as we can put it on something else so long as we can either pass the buck or, or, or blame someone then that's that's what we tend to do because we have no guidance telling us not to Right. Like for the most part, we're just raised is like, just pass the test and get the job and then you'll get what you want. And that's, that's the end all and be all of everything. And it's like, well, hold on. What about me as a person, as I'm going through that, like here I am thinking I'm never going to pass this test. It's going to be the end of my life. And nobody's coming along and saying, actually that response is merely because you're looking at this in a certain way and you're looking at yourself in a certain way. Nothing's that serious. We don't get any self-knowledge. It's always just about going through the motions. And that is not something that encourages awareness. Yeah. Yeah. And I think when it comes to society, it was something that I was, have been questioning for a while, even like a, a couple years to a degree more intensely the last few months. And then, you know, doing some, uh, some psychedelics just blows that out of the water. Like what the fuck is society? It's like, it's all made up. It's literally all made up. And yet people, you know, make, they think, they think it's like, okay. And they justify it because it's like, oh, well, it wouldn't be able to function without it. And it's like, well, maybe it would. And I like, we did the idea with, yeah, it's, it's like, it doesn't make any sense to me why mushrooms are illegal, but at the same time, it makes a ton of sense given the state of how things are right now and the need for people to want more. That's how, you know, everything keeps on churning and it's like so it, it makes perfect sense why they're illegal because if everyone stopped but it's not like from a harmful sense it's from the the machine needs to keep on running and this might stop that machine and totally. start a new one if ever if we dropped a little bit in the water or something <laughs> and that's the point right you, yeah. you know, under these substances yeah. you suddenly gain a sense of clarity and you start going whoa, whoa wait a minute 
and, and you start looking around and you realize again that all the patterns you've been going through are patterns and that they become familiar and that it's all you you've been taught and so it's all you know and you start to think outside the box and that's very much why those those are illegal that that's exactly it i wanted to to cover this quickly because i did have somebody uh comment recently that do i believe psychedelics are necessary to waking up and i just wanted to comment on this quickly because the experience that you had is common when people do experience or, or when they experiment with psychedelics, particularly psilocybin mushrooms, they tend to have a profound experience. They have an insight, but in that they tend to pass the insight off to the, to the substance that oh, I was just tripping or oh, I was just, it was just the drugs and they fail to remember. No, it was you doing the work within that. It just, again, changed the conscious environment. I like to look at it as, you know, if you were to imagine your ego or all the thoughts you tell yourself about yourself in the world, each one being a layer or, or a, a weight, we're always having all these weights piled on top of ourselves. Well, all of a sudden, when you're on psychedelics or when you're in an extremely clear mind, it's like those weights become feathers. All of a sudden, your perception of the, of the weight just changes entirely and you stand up like it was never a thing because the weight was all dependent on how much commitment you put into it. And so psychedelics can show you the door to that but they can't teach you to do it you have to do it yourself you actually have to have the will to do it because if you don't even in psychedelics it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have a profound trip you could just sit there giggling yeah certainly and i was thinking yeah that layers the layers analogy i think is perfect i was thinking of it like a sort of like a fog too like if you're here like you're my fist and there's this fog around you and as you grow up it gets thicker and thicker and thicker and thicker and then doing something and like I started to have a lot of the things you know we connected before I ever I did psychedelics for the first time this past weekend like if you watch all my videos like I was talking about the same stuff before it it's just it's more of an outside the box and I think when it comes to you know the layers or the fog like as you get older the fog just gets thicker and thicker and thicker and thicker until you are so concrete in your beliefs you don't even know there's a fog and it's so thick that you can't change you're not going to change anything and all this does is clear that yep. it just clears it you're still the same nothing changes whatsoever about you all it does is strips it away clears away the fog and it allows you instead of the energy that you have or the awareness or whatever getting sucked into the fog so maybe you only have like 10 percent energy or awareness all of a sudden you have like 50% or 90% or whatever. And then you're able to have these insights and it sort of takes away, like if the fog could be related to, you know, self, uh, self, uh, conch being self-conscious mm -hmm. too. And like just being so aware of your separation and it almost like, like takes that down a notch. So you don't feel so separate either and you feel and i've started feeling very connected like a few months ago but like this was just yeah just a more intense level and it really wasn't that much different than i was feeling before it was like very similar but if i was you know like 20 percent, it just pushed me to like 30 or 40 percent, something like that as opposed to being like a totally like parallel experience or whatever some other experience it was the same thing i've been feeling just sure 
more intensely. Well, and there's a lot of research that's going into it right now. There's a there's a research lab here in the in the town that I live in, in the city that I live in, that's doing research into psilocybin mushrooms and their potential use in treating depression, anxiety, substance abuse. I mean, uh, Gaber Mady, Dr. Gaber Mady, was doing research in in using ayahuasca to treat heroin addicts, and I think there was like an eighty to an eighty five percent success rate. In, in dropping heroin addiction through a psilocybin experience or through an ayahuasca experience, because your default mode, the, the thoughts that you're used to thinking get completely reset in a psychedelic experience. And so you come out of it and it's like, you have a new lease on life. It's like, you've just, you've dropped your load behind you somewhere and you're like, yes, I'm good to go. And habitually you will start to pick up that load again, which is why a lot of times when people do have their first awakening on psychedelics, they get a, uh, an ego out of it. They have a moment of awakening and they're like, yes, I've seen the universe. And then they come out of it and all of their old patterns of, of identification and comparison come back in without them noticing it. So now they're like a master of the universe, but compared to everyone else, right? So it just kind of, it, it, it seeps in over time. So it's not, again, it's not the psychedelics that'll do it for you, but psychedelics will definitely give you that leg up if you are entrenched in vines, if you are, you know, ensnared in, in habitual patterns and thoughts and identity, and, and, you know, especially the older you get, this is where they're really seeing the benefits of microdosing and, and alternatives to traditional pharmaceuticals, because there is a lot to be said for altered states of consciousness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, certainly. And I have, you know, the way you're describing this with like, you know, caught in the vines or a lot of fog or a lot of layers, like, I have some people, I'm not going to obviously name any names or anything, but some people close to me who could really, I think, really, really benefit. And some of them have, you know, commented like, you know, I'd prefer if you didn't share things online, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, share things. Hold on. I'm about to try and convince you to do these. You're trying to tell me like not to be careful, whatever, like give me a couple months, you're going to be doing them too. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, it's just, yeah. Cause I I've seen people who, uh, who, uh, go through and, and they go through the paths of like, you know, the professional, uh, experience, like antidepressant related things. And it's like, I don't know, it seems like, I don't know, from the research I've done and all the stuff I've been watching, especially the last few weeks, like, it seems like that's more of a, a bandaid. It's sort of, suppresses the emotions to a degree as opposed to doing anything you know at the root uh, yeah well and and from my experience and i should I'll, I'll say straight up i'm not a medical professional this is not medical advice don't listen to me this is just my own experience um when i was in the thick of of my own personal hell um i was on antidepressants and antipsychotics and i was heavily medicated uh, for years and all it did was allow me to continue going through my day-to-day -day life, but being more numb. Like I, I wasn't, I wasn't getting the ups and downs as much the peaks weren't there, but on the other hand, I didn't feel anything. Like it, it, people would express something to me and I would say the appropriate response, knowing it was the appropriate response, but never feeling it in myself. Like somebody, uh, when I was in on antidepressants, uh, a friend of mine had, had committed suicide. And I was consoling his girlfriend at the time. I'm like, I'm sorry, you know, we're, we're all going to miss him. And, you know, it's a terrible thing. And I didn't feel a thing. And, and when I left her, her company that day, I felt like a bag of shit because I, I could recognize in myself, I wasn't feeling 
any any of it. It was just it was all lip service. It was all a show. And while I, I wasn't getting depressed and I wasn't you know in self loathing, it would almost be preferable. It's like the difference between um, feeling and being numb, right? In general, it's like yeah, when you're feeling, you can get hurt, but you can also feel joy, <laughs> right? Yeah. Where it, when you're numb, you're not in danger, but there's nothing to live for. And so in, for me, after going up and down on that loop forever, um, I finally just took my medication and threw it in the dumpster behind my apartment and walked away. And that was rough. That was one of the roughest experiences I've ever been through because the next six months was all of my old habits coming back full force because I had been avoiding them. And so they were almost worse. It was like a screaming demon horde had just come to my door and said, hey, forget about us. And I had to deal with it because I had been just muffling them. Mm -hmm. Damn. Yeah, I'm curious. So a thought came up when you were explaining and like talking about consoling your um, friend's girlfriend after that happened. And I meant to ask you this, I think last time, because you say, you know, you're not, you don't fear death whatsoever. The death of Ray does not concern you at all. What about, what about others? You know, if that situation were to happen again, yeah. or others is there other you know but if that were to happen again like would you feel now yeah for sure or, absolutely yeah. um and and i know that because uh, last year um my my cat of, of 18 years passed on um and two years before that my other cat of 18 years passed on and year before that my dog of 12 years passed on so in those you know four years i think there was a, a year break in between it was just one thing after another one loss after another and so each and every time I had to come back to, okay, you know, put your money where your mouth is kind of thing. Like, you know, hmm. we're talking about death. It, and I, and of course, being raised Christian, I had all kinds of habitual perspectives of death that were still coming up. And so it really gave me the opportunity to look at it straight in the face. And I made a TikTok um, about this last year as I was going through it. And then about a week after. And Grieving is such an interesting process because it really is just the process of accepting what is. And grieving is almost like we would prefer to focus on hurting ourselves. We would prefer to focus on regret. We would prefer to focus on the loss and, and how that feels than to accept that this is now the way things are, that these people are gone, regardless of how we might want them to be here. And so it was turning that loss into again, it was looking at the hole that was created in my life and the beautiful way that that hole had been formed to begin with. And so it, it's again, it's just looking past the character that we were attached to realizing that the person that we were attached to the person that we loved was never really the person that we loved. They were the awareness that was shining through that person, through that person's experiences, through their opinions, through their, their little habits and, and, and whatever they picked up along the way. But, it was their inner awareness that was shining through their soul, as people would call it. And that's what we loved, because when we look at the people we love, we can see that they have their own heartache. We can see that they have their own shit that they're facing. We can see that they've had their own journey and things that they'd prefer not to go through. So looking through all that, we see who they are and that's who we love. And so once they've passed on, remembering they weren't the character means that they're in everybody else. They're always here. They're us. We're literally continuing on as them. And they have changed us in every moment they've been with us. There's literally no division between them and us. So we are continuing on as them. We have been changed as a result and we will continue to change because there's no division. As you said, 
if we stopped identifying, we'd all be one. Certainly. Yeah. The way you, you uh, said that in, in the sense of like, instead of it, thinking of it as like a negative, a loss, whatever, think of it, you know, it's positive, like the opportunity and all of that. And I thought like um, my, our dog, our family dog passed away three years ago and she was 14 at the time. So like, you, know, you can't really get much more yeah. as a dog. And that was, that was sort of like where my head was at with it. It was like, what is like, it is very sad. We all like, she had to be put down. She was got very sick. Like she was pretty sick for a few months, but then like happened pretty quickly. And we sort of realized she started throwing off a bunch. And we were like, she's suffering quite a bit. Um, so it was very sad that day and, and the following days, but it was like, after that, I was like, what's the alternative here? The alternative is she could have gotten picked up by a family that didn't love her as much as we did by an abusive family, by anything like she got the best life she probably could have. And what, what more, what do I want her to live to be like 25? Like you just, that's not how long dogs live for. Well, so who is it about at that point? Right. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, she began to get sick and she passed on and, you know, so it was like, what's, what's the alternative there? Or, you know, I really, it's, it's always sad. Like I, I have one grandparent left and I'll be extremely, extremely sad when she passes away. But especially when, when it's like older people, or if I hear of someone else's grandparent, who's like 98 and they're like, I'm like, that's, of course it's sad, but it's like, what, what more could you, what, what are you going to try to live to 120? Like right. you just can't, that's not, it's not really at all tragic because it's like that's the way it is that's how long humans live for pretty much that's about the max all things right all things but we get so caught up in in the division because our our culture is very much ego egocentric like we're, we're so focused on the individual perspective that that we're all individuals and our our awareness comes from this meaty bit that's inside our skull um that the idea of death is terrifying because of that. And I mean, the, the rise of Christianity didn't help with that at all, um, because, right with the afterlife and then that whole thing. And, you know, we're all individual souls and God's going to judge you. And, and, and so we made death into this really weird thing. But at the end of the day, you know, we, we don't die any more than the tree dies when a leaf falls off. Right. Like that, that's the whole thing. The leaf goes to the ground, the ground absorbs the leaf, the ground feeds the roots and the tree continues to grow. And, and, and so everything is, is cyclical. And in, in this story, in this lifetime, I'm going to make an impact on whoever it is I talk to, and they're going to continue to do the same. And so me holding on to the idea that I'm this body, that's on me. If I'm going to hold on to that, I'm going to experience the fear that goes with that. If I'm going to hold on to that, I'm going to experience, you know, the, the tension that goes with letting that go. And I'm going to reinforce to everybody how important I am, <laughs> like protect me. Right. But, um, that, that's a, a big part of it is because we don't recognize that we aren't separate, that death is so goddamn scary. Yeah. So with, so with something like, you know, disease and whatnot, what I'm curious your take on disease and like the level to which we should try to go to stop it if it is all happenings and if we were you know I'm starting more and more to think of us just like equivalent to nature and this weekend when I was walking around I was seeing 
people were no different than trees were no different than the water like I wasn't and I think I texted you this I wasn't looking at like the five six feet height I was looking a little bit higher and like from a pulled back view a little bit so it was like I was seeing humans as nature not as individual stories and it was like all these things were were happening and I was aware of them but the the trees and the humans were not different and and seeing things as and seeing us as nature not separate from it and I think you know Christianity has done a really good job of absolutely creating that sort of feeling of separation so when it comes so back to my question I guess Mm -hmm. when it comes to something like disease like to what level do we go to try to prevent it or, or stop it that's a good question. And ultimately, it's going to be dependent on the person because, see, it's not a, as with everything, it's not, a, it's not a, a decision we can make for others, right? And so we have to address the, the common mentality. We have to address the collective mentality, which is the collective mentality regarding death. But most of our, our medical science or most of our, our policies regarding death are the result of how we individually view death. And so the more people who are terrified of death because they see themselves as an individual body, they're going to invest in ways to keep that body alive. They're going to invest in structures that have the same mentality and that's what's grown over time. And so now, even if you're 98 years old, you've lived a good life, everything's failing, we're still gonna put you on life support to try and keep you alive as long as possible because you're afraid. And I think that if we were less afraid, if we had a different common mentality, if we had a different collective conversation about this, that people would start to say, you know what, I'm 65 years old, rather than getting that quadruple bypass for the th- you know, or heart surgery for the third time, I'm just going to let this incarnation go and continue on as my grandkids. And, and we would have that clarity if our collective discussion was different and it went on for long enough. But as of right now, we're still so overcommitted to the idea of individuality that we can't have this conversation. Like you can't go to somebody and say, you know, when you die, it's not really going to be that bad. They're going to say, well, you know, you have no idea how much I've saved. You have no idea how much I've invested in this life. And it, to them, it's important. And until they change that commitment to that importance, this conversation won't change. We'll just continue going towards, you know, bionic people, because that's exactly the direction that we're going in right now. It's like, you know, what can we replace? with something we can make and and continue to replace so you can live forever. And it's like, but why would you want to? It is the big question. Alan Watts talked about this too. It's like, you know, when when we were about 100 years ago or more, human lifespan was like 30 to 60 years, maybe, right? But in those 30 to 60 years, you lived, right? You you actually went out and faced stuff and and you you had discomfort and you had a, a personal journey and you had all of this stuff. And so your life was vibrant. It wasn't just get up, go to work, come home, watch TV, go to sleep, get up, go to work and continue on. It was very different. There was more involved with it. And so quality of life and length of life are two different conversations. Yeah, more the uh, the life in your years than the years in your life sort of thing yep. there, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it, I, I think we're, yeah, extremely far from any sort of discussion like that and, I wonder, you know, and, and I do because so it seems to me, and this is this is just from me being old and watching this perspective for a while, that this conversation is becoming easier to have with more people. And it's not that 
the conversation is necessarily just becoming easier to have. It's not just easier to go, hey, let's talk about what Alan Watts said 50 years ago, or hey, let's talk about Krishnamurti, or hey, let's talk about Buddha. It's people your age who are coming up with entirely new ways to look at old insights, people who are coming up with different ways to have this discussion, and they're having insights that are distilling old conversations down to new ones, very much like what we're doing here. Right. We're, we're, we're talking about old insights. We're talking about religion we're talking about psychedelics. We're talking about all this, but we're putting it into a way that's relevant to our current time period. We're putting it into ways that are relevant to our current way of life. And that is happening a lot. And so I think to some degree, it's exponential growth. I think that as these conversations continue to get more and more on point, they get less and less fluffy, I guess is what I'm really trying to say, because fluff scares away your serious seekers. Right. Um, it draws in more people. It draws in more people. The more interested you are in this, not to feel better, but because it's like, wow, this is just, this is crazy cool. You guys have to listen to this. The more people start to go, okay, what are, what are you talking about? And they start to listen and then they get interested. And I think enthusiasm is the big key here. Enthusiasm is infectious. If we can get people enthusiastic about the conversation the same way we are, which is just about being enthusiastic, not about trying to get them anywhere, then it's going to spread like wildfire and it's going to spread faster and faster and faster. So I don't know how far this this change is. I don't know how far in the future this is. It could be next year. I That's the wonderful thing about uncertainty, right? The world could change overnight. Certainly. I think with a lot of these things too, because I know you get a lot of backlash with your stances on religions and everyone's like, just let me believe what I believe and blah, blah. And it's like, or like, you know, not having a belief is a belief and stuff like that. And I, I get that a lot too. And it's like, I'm not saying like, I don't, I'm pretty much at a point that I don't believe anything yeah. like, and, and that's not, that's not a belief. Like, yeah. Like it's interesting that everyone wants to like, it's because of the way everything is, we want to categorize everything in that way like there's so many religions out there they were just created that like oh if you think this way or do this it's like because of this religion it's like no religion is not necessary and it's all made up like it's all fucking made up and no one like it's not the truth and people like uh it's so uh it's like kind of frustrating but at the same time like it is what it is and it's everyone's just so caught up in what what do you believe in like well I, I I don't believe in anything I don't believe like do I have to like whoever said that but that <laughs> makes that me very rule? uncomfortable <laughs> yeah that's that's what it is and I get the same responses and it's funny because that's the work that's the work because having the insight is one thing and then going out into the world and seeing everybody else who doesn't want to see that insight that's the work it's like the old expression if you think you're enlightened go talk to your parents mm -hmm. right because they'll push all your buttons and and so when you go out into the world and you're like i don't believe anything and somebody's like well that's a belief you have to turn through that you're like okay hold on is it and and if you're honest about it you will actually take the moment to go is it and you'll look because that's that's part of the process of growing right instead of no it's not right and so that's the work is looking at what your reaction is and so after enough time now my response when i'm like you know i don't believe anything and they're like well that's a belief and then my only response is i'm sure it would be uncomfortable for you to see it otherwise <laughs>
because the alternative is that you'd have to accept there's another way of living. Mm -hmm. And that's often what people don't want to hear. They don't mm -hmm. want to, to even entertain the idea that what you're saying is possible, that you can live without constant self-analysis, that you can live without fear of death, that you can live without belief in a fiction, because that's what they hold on to to keep them safe and secure in a world of uncertainty. That's what they hold on to to establish their sense of value through comparison and assumption. There is so much invested in that, that, that game of pretend that you even going over and saying, you know, we don't have to play pretend is a threat. <laughs> yeah, I'm hoping we get to a point that we don't have to play so much pretend because it's just, it's, it's wild. And there's so many, I mean, people will say like, oh, not believing in something is a belief. And I'm like, or like, how do you know anything you say is right? And I'm like, well, I, I don't, but it's not that I think anything I think is right. It's like at our baseline right now in society, there are like hundreds of beliefs and assumptions and all these things that people are tied to. All I'm saying, and it seems like all you're saying is like, let's strip some of those down a little bit. It's not about adding anything to that. It's about peeling them back, like clearing out the fog. It's, it's, that's it. It's not addition of anything. It's just subtraction because we're at a baseline by the time you're 20 that you have probably hundreds of thousands of beliefs and assumptions about everything. And all I'm saying is take some time to question it, ask some questions, just figure out why, why do you believe that? So let's stop settling on an answer. Yeah, there you go. Right. That's yeah. it. It's always, let's just continue questioning. And that offends people. And I love that particular part of offending people because they don't have to be offended. They're, they're, they're not offended because I'm trying to be offensive. They're offended because they don't want to question. That's the simplest way to put it. And, and they get more offended when you mention that that's why they're offended, which is also kind of fun in its own way. Right. But it's, it is the way to perpetuate the conversation. And, and it's like I said before, like the, the old expression is you don't talk about politics or religion in pleasant company. It's like, well, that's a great way for nobody to grow for us to just stay stagnant and not in any way challenge one another. And so questioning, even though it's going to rock people's boats, is going to make them question almost out of necessity because of the discomfort. So rocking boats is something that's necessary. And unfortunately, the spiritual crowd has decided to a large degree, not everybody, that we don't rock boats because that's unpleasant. And that's not what what a unitary consciousness would do. It's like, that is what a unitary consciousness would do. Look at your body whenever it has an infection. Your body goes apeshit trying to get rid of that infection. You know, so there's, there's some disturbance there, right? So that's that's very much the point is that when you get past the belief, when you get past the need for stability and security, you come to terms with what is, and what is is always changing, right? You can't just abide by the Ten Commandments because maybe that's not what needs to be done right now. And the only way you'll know is to allow yourself to be here right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that just that idea of being here and being now is that's knocked me this weekend. My experiences knocked me into that and it's stuck with me. And one of the biggest things is just my mind settling and quieting. It has been a lot quieter the last few days and it's, 
amazing. It's absolutely incredible. And I know a lot of people who have very noisy minds that could derive a lot of benefit from it because that's all, you know, that's all the fog, that's all the baggage. And it doesn't have to be, you don't have to always be thinking and, and worrying and, and wondering and preparing and like, you just, you don't. And it's, that's not how we were made to be. It's how we've developed and, and, you know, transformed and, and we have all these external factors leading to feelings like that. And it just doesn't have to be, and, and you don't need that much. Like it can be cool to, you know, I was sitting and I watched a pond of ducks for like a good 15 minutes and it was amazing yesterday. And like, there's so many things that you, you just don't need to be doing and wanting more. And uh, I sound like a, I like sound like a hippie, but it's like, <laughs> it, I feel like I kind of feel, get. Yeah. Yeah, feel more like one, yeah. a, a drug, druggy hippie. Right. And <laughs> it's funny. I'll take that. I'll wear that one. <laughs> Let's just put them down so we don't have to pay attention to them. Right. Yeah, exactly. But they, they had a valid point. And, and it's just that the, the habit, the habitual thought, the, the habitual identification is it's not that it ever goes away. I, I made the point once that if, if you use a Windows PC and you hit Control Alt Delete, it shows you all the background processes that are happening on your computer, right? All the time, even if you're not touching your computer, there's just like a hundred things happening in the background. Well, it's kind of like our brain, right? Our brain is always processing context. It's always processing what it knows conceptually and, and superficially. And so we almost tune into that process and we get so caught up in it that we start thinking that every thought that's being processed is relevant to us individually. And so we pay attention to them and that's what becomes the noise. It's like the more we commit to them being the truth, the more we hear our thoughts. And so all of a sudden, as you start to go, oh, it's just background stuff. I don't need to watch that. It's still going to do its own thing. All of a sudden, it's like they start to fall away, almost like um, in a bar when you start to tune out the background music right? And you're focused on the conversation at hand. So people will say, how do I stop my thoughts? It's like, well, you can't because your brain is doing its own thing. That, that's not the problem. The problem is, is how, how involved you are with them, how much you're trying to micromanage everyone that goes across your consciousness instead of just letting it go by and continue the process that it was doing without your interference. Yeah, it's almost, it's like realizing that that's the case, that that is the process is extremely helpful. And I had right before I had sort of like the insight that I'm not Andrew back in July, I had a week that I was just like very much caught up in my thoughts. And I was like on YouTube looking up like how to quiet overthinking, quiet the mind, like going back to my old TikToks, like watching my own shit. Like I got to remember some of this stuff now. And I got to a point and I don't think I saw any videos about it, but because there were so many about like how to stop overthinking, how to quiet your mind, whatever. And I realized I didn't want to stop overthinking. I wanted to stop thinking certain thoughts. It wasn't like there's this blanket statement of like, I'm an overthinker. And it's like, no, no, no. You think certain thoughts and you identify with those thoughts. Thoughts are always happening. Everyone's thinking a different shit all the time. It's, it's that it gets placed in a negative light when there's certain thoughts we don't want to be thinking. So we try to get rid of them and through trying to suppress them and get rid of them, we were giving them so much attention. 
we are resisting them, what you resist persists typically. And so it stays there and you don't realize that it's a process that's always churning, like clouds passing by or dogs walking through in a park. And those thoughts are just the dogs, just, they're just running by. They're not like coming up and licking you unless you don't want them to, then they're going to come up and give you a lot of attention. But if you realize that they're just running by, you can allow them to keep running. And then all of a sudden other thoughts are popping up, but those ones that you thought you were overthinking were just the thoughts you didn't want to be having. All of a sudden those keep passing. And since then, those same sorts of thoughts that I was kind of caught up in that week have come up and they pass very quickly. And I don't get like, you know, tensed up like, oh shit, shit, shit. I don't want to be thinking this. <laughs> it's like, oh, there it is. And, and there it goes. And, and I bring my awareness to, usually for me, bring my awareness to the now, like smelling things, listening has helped yeah. a lot. Just like listening to what's around me. It's hard to like, be lost in thought when you're super aware of sounds around you. So that's helped too. Um, but yeah, I think with overthinking, it's, it's not that you want to stop overthinking. You just want to stop thinking certain thoughts yeah, and that realization helped a ton. It's interesting because you, you mentioned anxiety and I just wanted to mention that we do have a workshop coming up on social anxiety on October 19th. Um, for anybody who's interested, the link is, is in my bio, or of course you'll find more information on social media, but anxiety is another one of those things where the, the harder we try to get away from it, the worse it gets because we experience anxiety and it sucks. And then we become anxious about experiencing anxiety. So now all of a sudden it's a downward spiral. And I found one of the easiest ways or, or one of the most helpful ways that I, I found of getting out of my old anxiety problem is, and it was bad. I was, I used to get heart pains. I, I used to like, I, I would throw up, I would pass out. It was really, really bad. And it was just remembering, right. I've done this before. It's going to pass. I'm going to get through. I'm stronger than this. And as soon as I could stop being afraid of my anxiety, then it became easier to get through my anxiety. So then it became right. These are just thoughts. So it was the same process, but now it was a a layer deeper of what was causing the anxiety. And so it's always about almost doing the counterintuitive thing. Right. Like it's like, oh, I'm anxious. I got to run away from it. It's like, no, you got to face it. You know, it's like, oh, I'm depressed. I need to escape this feeling. It's like, actually, you need to sit in it and decide that you're going to do what you can with it. And that's when it changes. Right. You can't escape depression to find happiness. And then depression goes away because that just makes depression deeper. Yeah. And I think with all of those things you just mentioned, anxiety, depression, nerves, there's been this negative stigma placed on them. So now everyone has in their default that it's bad to feel them. And so when we feel them, we try to get rid of them. And I posted a video a few days ago about, you know, if you start feeling nervous, you have a presentation coming up, you're about to read in class and you get like, you know, that lump in your throat where you're like, oh shit, is my voice going to sound weird? Or like your heart starts racing. And I used to get that all the time. And like, I still do sometimes. And it's like, instead of trying to get rid of that feeling and hating that feeling and thinking I shouldn't be feeling this way. Like, you know, this isn't a big deal. I shouldn't be nervous. It's like, I'm nervous. That's okay. It's normal. I'm going to do this anyway, and I'm going to be fine. And it's not that the nerves or the anxiety or whatever is bad, but we think it's bad. And I, I posted a video a while ago, like 
seven or eight months ago. And I started it with like, that was when I used to start every video with what if I told you? And it was, what if I told you that anxiety isn't bad? And a lot of people took that the wrong way. And it got stitched maybe like, I don't know, thousands of times. Like, oh, you think anxiety is not bad? Like, I'll tell that to my Zoloff over there or something. Right. And I was like, I, I didn't mean it like that. I meant like, <laughs> you don't have to think of it as bad. It's okay to feel it once you realize that it's not an objectively bad thing. Like you said, you can allow it to be there, realize that you'll be okay. It's just a feeling. And usually the only reason we think of it as negative is because we have these thoughts attached to it. It's just a feeling. Everyone says, you know, it's similar to excitement, mm -hmm. but it's just the thoughts that you have about it makes you think that it's anxiety or nerves when really it's, it's the same. If you were, you know, about to get on a roller coaster, you were totally. super excited for, that's the same thing. You're just excited. You're just happy about it and looking forward to it as opposed to afraid of it that's so interesting and, and i'm just going to try and get this out because it's kind of been going through my my awareness for the last couple of days and it hasn't it, it's one of those thoughts where it's like this might end up on tiktok but i'm not entirely sure but anxiety is, is so interesting because anxiety gets out of hand the more we try to avoid it but where did that where does the anxiety come from and i was it was i was thinking about because i have some some smaller kids who live on the street that i live on when we're young when we're very young and we first start start learning to run do you remember that feeling when you're, you're getting so much speed running you're so focused on where you're running to that you fall and you trip and you scrape your knees to scrape knee lesson right well, all of a sudden, next time we're running and we're, we can feel ourselves getting out of control, we're going too fast or we're too focused down the road, we start to feel some apprehension shortly after that because we scraped our knee. We remember doing that. And so we slow down and we try and focus on the step that we're on. So physically, that makes sense. But psychologically, we don't do the same thing. We focus on the end results. We focus on how fast we can get there. And then we start to feel anxiety. And we don't realize it's the same damn lesson as the scraped knee. It's because we're too focused on the end result. We're not focused on the step we're on. We have a feeling like we're going to stumble and trip. And so instead of just slowing down and breathing, taking the cue that anxiety is giving us to come closer to the present, we just push right past it. And we're like, no, 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 I just need more control. No, no, I need to focus on the end result more. And so we ignore the scraped knee lesson. That was one of our first ones. Yeah, I like that a lot. And I, I can think of times in my life where like I, I would have a presentation or something and it's like way down the road. I haven't even, you know, picked a topic for it or started preparing for it. And I'm already nervous. And it's like, I don't even know what I'm going to talk about. And I'm nervous of the idea of it focused on that end result focused on the outcome and the idea of, I like that a lot because it's the idea that you're not actually nervous about the event. You're nervous about the outcome. And you're nervous about if you, you're not nervous about the speech. You can give a speech in your mirror right now and you'd be chilling. You might not do amazing or like amazing, whatever that even means, sure. but you can do it and you wouldn't feel any nervousness. You're, you're focused on the outcome. You're focused on what if I give a speech and people don't like it? Or what if I give a speech and people judge me? That's You're not even focused on the speech. You're focused on the reaction, the outcome, everything happening after. So you're not even nervous about the event and you don't even know, you know, you don't know what's best either. So you don't even know what a good 
outcome is. Messing up could be a real lead to a really good outcome. So that kind of puts that worry in a little bit of a pickle, I would say. But school really yeah. drills that one that one into us though, because in, in school as we as we go through the system, it's not just, you know, don't don't fail your test. It's don't fail your test because then you'll fail your class, which may make you fail your year, which means you'll never get a job and nobody's going to love you because you'll be a, you, you won't be a success. And it just it just tails off from there. So at 16 years old, even just a multiple choice, A, B or C is causing us no end of stress because our entire life is on the line on whether or not we remember Pythagorean's theory. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like that's, and, and so we, we get into that habit of assuming everything we do. It, the end result is dependent on it. And the older I get, the more I realize that the mistakes I made in my past really didn't have the impact I thought they were going to. Like all, all of that stress that I was going through over, this is going to ruin my life, never really happened. I mean, here I am, I'm, I'm in my 40s, I'm, I'm in a job I never thought I'd have, I'm in a, in a city I never thought I'd live in, I'm with a family I never thought would be there, none of which I saw it coming. And, and so all of my anxiety and my worry about the future was for nothing because nothing I ever imagined happening is what actually happened. Oh, yeah, yeah, couldn't agree with that more. I mean, where I'm at now, like maybe being close to quitting my job soon, because I'm posting videos publicly on social media and have people that actually follow me and like, notice me in the street is like, if you told me that when I was in college or graduating college, or a year into my job, like, I would have called you an absolute lunatic. Like the idea, because it's crazy. Yeah. Like that we think we know what's going to happen. And especially now with the idea of, you know, college and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'll, I'll have, because like a decent amount of my followers are younger kids in college, you know, who are stressed and anxious and everything. And a lot of times my advice is like, it's probably like whatever test you're on or like studying for is not going to have a big impact on your life whatsoever. Like, I don't mean just like, you know, stop studying and go out and party and like show up to your test drunk or something, but like do your best and see what happens. But like, you don't even know what is going to happen tomorrow. And you're like thinking that you do. And you're thinking that if you, fail this test, like you said, fail the class, don't get a good job, good job. It's like, uh, it's, it's wild. And it's like, I don't even use even in my, I mean, certainly not in social media, do I use any school related learnings, but even in my job in digital advertising, that's fairly common to get for a lot of kids after school marketing or advertising or something. I don't use anything from my college classes in that either. I learned all that in a yeah. six week training when I started. And then since the job, just like basically learn on the fly. Yeah. Like it's, it's just wild. Absolutely. I've learned more since I left school. Oh, without a doubt. I've learned far. more in the last two months than I have in the last, and, and even in college right? at all. <laughs> well, what's funny is, is the thing that I really learned or, or the thing that that I learned that changed everything for me was why I was having so much problems learning, right? It's because I wasn't, it was the, the archer that we described in the last episode, right? I was focused on the grade 
and the test. I was focused on the work in front of me and where it would take me. And so that reflected on me and my value. And that brought up all kinds of comparison to everybody else and how I assumed they would be doing. And so the whole time, 95% of my attention is somewhere else while I'm trying to study. Yes, I did cut out because I accidentally hit the space bar and it muted me. The point being is that school teaches us to, to think in a certain way and it's counterintuitive in the extreme because my daughter is homeschooled, perfect example. She learns things as they become relevant to her because they're when they're not relevant, you're just drilling them with information they're going to forget. I mean, how much did you learn in grade school that you don't remember even learning? Right. But it, it made it filled you eight hours a day, kept you off yeah. the streets. And, and God knows we don't want children just running around in the streets, reminding adults what life is all about. So, right. So we, we want to keep, keep them out of sight so parents can continue to go to school and drive the system that continues to make them put their, their kids in school. And it's just it's just craziness. Like we have gotten so out of hand with the idea of production and progress and advancement that we've forgotten what when enough is enough when am i fulfilled when am i happy mm -hmm. right and then what can i do with that it's not it, we don't focus on that at all at all it's you'll be happy when you do enough you'll be happy when you have enough you'll be happy when people approve of you enough and and that never works never happens never yeah. comes <laughs> no it's yeah. a, it's like my grandfather used to say you know you can make some people happy you can't make everybody happy ever and it's like yeah. right so why bother what like just just be yourself and the people mm -hmm. who are going to resonate with it will resonate with it and the people who aren't won't and that's on them yeah no matter what you do people are going to love you and hate you for the same exact thing yeah. so at least well they're thinking whatever, about me <laughs> exactly yeah taking time out of the day to write a negative comment you know uh, yeah Oh, I love it. I, I'm just like, let's, let's keep that happening. You know, just keep, keep talking because at some point it's going to get to a point where you're, you're going to either have an insight or you're going to get so pissed off that you stop talking to me entirely. And it's going to rattle you for the rest of the day, which may lead to another insight, right? We don't know how that works out, but I do know that by allowing people to stay in their comfort zone, simply so they'll like me more, I'm not doing anybody any good. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and that's a yeah. big part of this is, being willing to not be liked. Sometimes you have to be willing to be perceived as the bad guy in order to do any good. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so I'm just, I've gotten so used to like questioning everything and not, you know, to put myself on a pedestal or anything, but it's like, so I find it so interesting when people are so sure of themselves or they don't want to question it also, I mean, it makes sense why you wouldn't want to question because then it's like you may have to admit that you're wrong or you might have to face the fact that everything is uncertain and you might have to face this idea of being uncomfortable and uncomfortability. And I just think that if you can find the comfort in discomfort, there's actually, I think I wrote it down on my phone probably, but when I was um, on the mushrooms this weekend, I... I was thinking about discomfort and the idea of discomfort and how like anytime I've had discomfort and it's been like calmed or like I've gotten comfortable again, discomfort comes up again. Like it's a never ending cycle. So the only thing you can ever do is work on being comfortable in discomfort and then you'll never be 
uncomfortable sure. and realizing like and accepting when you're uncomfortable or accepting when you're anxious or accepting when you're not feeling great and you'll never not feel great almost it's like you will but you won't have so much attached to it and you'll know that it's okay and it's not going to last and it's when there's this uncertainty or, or like the idea when Alan Watts talks about like you know it, it's the fear that you know if everything is black and white it's the fear that you know black will win and that's all that it ever is and it's like it, it that never it's never how it goes it's it's part both are part of each other and they're always happening and if you can become comfortable whether it's black or white or anything you'll you'll never have to fear life is just what it is yeah but and, and that's that's where religion or, or at least i know christianity tends to lose the point in that they try to have faith in something in order to deal with the uncertainty of life and then if for them it's having faith in god or in jesus or in in the rules or judgment day or whatever it might be so they're having faith <laughs> in another mechanism for control right so in another concept that gives them the idea that a certain end result is going to happen and that it's within their control and so that type of faith isn't faith right it's just another illusion of control faith true faith is faith in nothing it's just faith in yourself it's just moving forward right and that that's the only way we can balance the reality of uncertainty is to remember right whatever the unknown is it's me facing it that's all i yeah. need to know is me yeah. and having that faith in yourself and even even with confidence too like i think of confidence as less so a feeling and more so just an action no matter how you feel it's not about feeling confident it's about no matter how you're feeling or how you think you might feel it's about doing whatever it is anyway and realizing that you'll be okay and it's all about those actions despite that discomfort or uncomfortability and once you take enough of those then you'll have so much you'll have built it's almost like building trust in yourself and doing what you say you will and you know you should be doing like if there's you know something you're really nervous about like you know given a presentation or a speech and and you do it anyway you're building trust in yourself and that sort of actions i like to think of it like the actions despite how you feel yeah. are like bricks if confidence were the building nice. and every action you take despite how you feel no matter how you feel if you do it anyway just one more brick on the building and eventually that building gets a lot taller it's never there's no end to that but it's always a process and there is a point i think that you get to that you're just like I may not feel great. I may feel super confident all the time now, you know, I've built so many freaking bricks that my building is massive and, you know, there's nothing really stopping me ever or even hesitations and that feeling, the initial feeling all of a sudden becomes a sort of confidence. But until then, it's just actions despite how you feel. Yep, absolutely. And that, that oddly enough, that, uh, that habit of breaking the habit of doubting yourself 
or the habit of breaking a habit is what brings you back to that state constantly, right? It's like, I don't, I'm just going to decide how I'm going to interpret this. I'm going to decide what I'm going to do here rather than resort to my previous actions, regardless of how similar this experience might be. I'm not going to have a reaction, as it were. I'm going to act here in the moment on my own will, not not based on any structure, not based on on any crutch. And, and so that that's really the next that that's the next big step beyond being willing to question things. It's being willing to move forward without a sense of certainty, right? Without having that sense of control. And that's only something you can do through practice. It's like Buddha said, you know, we're, we're tested like steel through fire. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that like, it just reminds me of, you know, your takes on manifesting. And I think that is a sort of sense of feel like I, I was doing it pretty regularly up until two weeks ago. And then I, and then I stopped because I think what you said just made sense. And I was like, started to wonder like, oh shit, like I literally just posted a video about how I manifest every morning yesterday on YouTube. And I don't think it makes any sense anymore. And so I'm going to stop. And since then, I've realized just how much it's still clinging on to a belief in needing a crutch. It's like, you can't, like you said, you can't, if you're manifesting and saying like, I'm so grateful that I have $10 million. It's like, you don't have $10 million. And no matter you're using it as a crutch to feel good, why can't you feel good right now? And so I've been a lot more present and not because it, it does, it's, it's not really being present as much as you can tell yourself, you're grateful that you have something that you don't, you don't. <laughs> That's it. And like, it can, it can help you feel good, but it's to not. Yeah. Right. There's a consequence as always. Right. And that's the whole thing is because the brain is a comparison engine. It's like, you know, I'm grateful for $10 million, which I don't have yet, but I'm going to feel the gratitude I would have if I had $10 million. And it's like, that's, that's a lovely thought. If you could lie to yourself convincingly, but you can't. So what you're doing is you're saying, I'll be grateful for the $10 million. I'm feeling that now, but your brain's also going, but we don't have $10 million. So I'm not as grateful for what I have now. Mm. Right? Immediately, the brain plays that game. Perception's mm -hmm. just a pain in the ass that way. And you can use that to your advantage. If you're doing a hard work or a hard job, you can, you can actually say, I've done harder. And the perception changes. All of a sudden, the job becomes a little bit easier as a result. So you can use that to some degree. But to forget that it's always happening, to forget that as soon as we look to the future as, as a source of happiness, the present becomes less a source of happiness. As soon as we forget that, we end up in a fog again. Mm -hmm. So with, with that though, what about like, cause sometimes when I start feeling a little bit sick, like I'll have a sore throat, I'll go through and tell myself like how grateful I am that I'm so healthy and every cell in my body is super healthy. Mm -hmm. And <sighs> What, like what what are your thoughts on that is do you think that's different or like the same exact thing as a 10 million dollar thing and where does it different. fall okay i, I think it's different in, in that well you're talking to your body which you have your body is there right and and the thing is is what you're really doing is you're you're changing you're raising your own level of consciousness you're raising your own level of awareness and doing that you're letting go of the narrative Right? You're letting go of the narrative, oh, I'm going to keep getting sicker. You're letting go of the narrative, oh, it's because of this, this, and this, and this. And so you're allowing yourself to come back to the present. You're allowing yourself to be less stressed out by all of those thoughts, which oddly enough, improves your, your immune response, right? Because stress 
hurts your immune response, stress hurts your body in general. So whatever you can do to alleviate that stress, which is always coming back to the present, is going to help you get healthier. It's also going to help you manifest because in the present is where you actually have sway over what's happening. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, because it's, so it's like, it's more so the idea of not allowing yourself to identify as a sick person. Yeah kind of like because you're not even I mean you're not even the person so it, it would be silly to identify as a sick person to begin with but okay, this is just what sense. I'm going through yeah because I've had that sort of like back and forth between like the manifesting idea of like that and I always thought there was a difference and I think I've I think there was a podcast I was a guest on that I kind of talked about that idea of like it's not so much a belief in it or like the the acceptance aspect like I think acceptance is hugely beneficial, whatever you're feeling, whatever you're going through. But when it comes to being sick, I don't like, or feeling a little bit sick, like, is it good to accept it and be like, I'm, I feel sick right now. Or I thought it, maybe it's, I accept that I'm not feeling amazing right now, but I'm grateful for how healthy I am. That sort of thing. Like I accept that I, I'm feeling this, but it's almost like saying that you're sick or mm -hmm. like, ex I accept that I'm a sick person right now is like, that's not it. That's an identification with an idea, the idea of being a sick person that in our heads, you know, we can picture, you know, someone with tubes up their nose being in a hospital bed. It's like, no, you just feel this thing in your throat. You don't even have to think of it as sickness. You can accept that and be grateful for how amazing you feel everywhere else something like that absolutely well it, and, and it's important to remember that our interpretation of the experience is not the experience itself right like yeah. how many times have you had a sore throat and went oh god it could be cancer or, or, or anything and it's just yeah. it's because of your mentality at the time it's not like you know any it's not like you're actually doing any tests or anything whatsoever you're just assuming based on the narrative that for some reason you feel is going to pay off egotistically, pay off in a sense of control or pay off in, in some sense of certainty. And that's really the, the pain in the ass about concepts is that we will settle on a concept that is unpleasant instead of just being uncertain. Mm -hmm. Right? It's like, I would rather know and suffer than not know. <laughs> it's like, see, over time, I was just, I'd rather just not know. Like, so I, uh, I was diagnosed with a condition called uh, pigment dispersion glaucoma. So I've, uh, a, good, a good portion of my eyesight is gone as a result of that. And for years, I felt really bad for myself. You know, oh my God, I'm going to go blind, blah, blah, blah. And all my, and my uh, specialists are like, oh, you're, you're going to go blind, like really young. And that, that tore me up for a while. And then I realized, I don't know that. And neither do they. Like they're just saying what they know based on previous studies, based on previous people, based on their own experience. They don't know, and they don't know what what's going to you know develop over time. Like they they've discovered that there are uh, different natural things that that help with this particular you know condition, and, and so I just went, well, I don't know, I don't know. So all I'm going to do is instead of telling myself a story, is I'm going to deal with it as it happens and then move on with my life in the best and happiest way that I can. And as a result, my condition has stabilized. I'm, I'm like 17 years into it, pardon the phone. And um, it's, uh, it continues to improve, even though they said it wouldn't. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, it's and, like when you're, <laughs> yeah, when you're, when you're talking to doctors, you can just be like, well, I'm not blind now. That's it. right. 
yeah. it's like you don't know you can't tell the future just as much as i can't just as much as anyone but we get caught up in that and 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 the medical profession is is not excluded from egotism right it's uh there are doctors who very much believe the same thing as most people who believe who go to school and get educated that you know i now know everything there is to know about this by virtue of my schooling it's like because you've learned a per particular perspective doesn't make it the truth it just makes it the perspective that you've learned to operate within you know it's like there, there used to be uh doctors quote unquote doctors who, who would swear by leeches you know and and they're like oh this is this is this has worked we've seen anecdotal evidence that this has worked sometimes occasionally right and it's like okay but that doesn't necessarily mean you see the whole picture of why it did work and why it didn't work right because we don't know everything and then that's that's again that's that's a danger that we tend to, to fall into when we when we believe in education you know like concepts are somehow the the thing that they're trying to describe yeah i see that yeah so much it's like with education it's also like you're learning it through a teacher who has their own perception of reality and their own perspective one individual perception and perspective and who's teaching it through people who distilled it in their own individual perspective and now you're learning it through your own individual perspective and yet we take it as truth and sure there's certain things like certain mathematical related things that you know you could say are more less subjective but mm -hmm. most stuff in school is extremely oh, yeah. subjective and how things were perceived even like you know a history class where a war happened it's like you know if you're learning about it in america versus if you're learning about it in you know england it's going to be a very different perspective For sure. on Absolutely. that and yet it's it's in books that have been published and you know those aren't changing <laughs> by the victors right histories are always written by the victors it's funny that that's something that's really happening right now is that a lot of our our accepted narrative collectively and and specifically in, in a eurocentric white society has been you know like oh look at us we're you know amazing people we we came over and found this continent and 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 we, we just we settled it we 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 made it you know uh civilized as it were and then it's like well yeah you also murdered millions of people you also like destroyed the environment you've also done a whole bunch of other things that now as we are waking up as a culture as we're starting to question our own egos right we're able to look at these other cultures that we've essentially decimated that we've essentially you know pillaged and broken over time and we're listening to them going you know we've been saying this forever and you're like right but we were too stupid to listen like we were so caught up in being masters of the fucking universe that we didn't realize you're part of the universe that, 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 that like we're, we're in this together and, and so a lot of my native american friends over time have, have commented that the history of, of white people coming over was very much that they looked crazy. They looked insane. Like they were looking at the world like something that they could own, which which if you look at it from the natural perspective that you were talking about at the beginning of the podcast is insane that, that yeah. somehow we can own the land that spawned us. Yeah. It's like very backwards. I've heard that um, described as like when the Native Americans, when we, uh, came over you know whoever came over everyone from europe and whatnot a uh they were 
trying to buy the land. And it's part of the reason that it was so cheap was because the Native Americans didn't think of it as they owned the land. It was more so the land owned them and they belonged to the land. The land didn't belong to them. So they like they didn't even comprehend it. So, you know, you're able to buy something like Manhattan for like a few beads or whatever they paid for, like a hundred bucks or something like absolutely absurd. Well, considering everything we've covered in this podcast, and I think we're coming up to an hour and a half, um, we should probably wrap up episode one, episode two we're on now. This was an excellent follow up to episode one in that we went a bit deeper on stuff and, and we really started talking more about the subjective experience uh, of duality and, and kind of all the fun stuff that happens on the internal, um, which is what I was really hoping to get to. It's one thing you and I have talked about a few times that as much as we can perceive ourselves as being one externally, physically, as a, as a part of a single tapestry, it isn't until you start experiencing the subjective without the narrative that you start to realize, oh, we are all the same awareness. And it's just because it's your thoughts that are distracting you from that insight, right? So I'm I'm so stoked for you, man. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm stoked in general too. It's been like it's been so awesome. And I even had I had some stuff that I wanted to like run through here. We're obviously not gonna get to it in this episode, but like we can we continue talking after. Yeah, we'll uh we'll get that for our Patreon members. Um, but yeah, I have like some stuff and we didn't even you know get into that we just started rolling and yeah. here we are it's been almost an hour and a half so, so like, much you know, to talk about 10, right 10 minutes yeah. so to our listeners um i just want to say thank you again for joining us for this extended episode obviously we're going to continue having these long conversations because they're so much fun do get in touch with us on social media let us know if you have any comments or questions we would love to include you in this talk and of course if you would like access to uh recordings of our live sessions on TikTok or uh, recordings of our conversations after these podcasts, you can actually access them all for $5 a month on our Patreon page. And we will be regularly updating that page with new content as well. So that's definitely one way to keep in touch with us as well. We do um, live streams exclusively for our Patreon supporters on the third Wednesday of every month as well from 6 to 7.30 uh, Eastern time. Yeah, looking forward to next week already. <laughs> Likewise. Thank you so much, everybody, for uh, for joining us, and we will see you on episode three.